are listening to Force Fed Digital. BXU Heard. Yo, yo, what's going on, man? It's your boy, Kingsbridge Rich. Another episode of My Bronx Story. This is the podcast, episode 21. Thank you guys for joining. So, big business, guys. It's the new year. I've been coming clean. I've been going one by one on this list. You know that list that we all do? The tradition. Feel me? Um, You know when you have these, what's these things called resolutions, and you start knocking them off? So proudly, we came clean and we told our kids about the marijuana usage. So that's been a dope update. Excited because now I am freaking free. So being able to start the year like that was pretty dope. Nonetheless, uh, another thing, guys, um, in my intro area, I start talking about social media. So here's the plug. Follow me, follow me everywhere. So you go to my link tree in my bio. Uh, for those who are on TikTok or any social media, I got my stuff listed. I got a new TikTok page. I felt the need that I had to go ahead and I just, I think everything was getting too convoluted between Kingsbridge Rich as as like a, person, a persona and then my project, My Bronx Story. Although it was like kind of one and the same, but for a minute, I've been a real personal, don't get me wrong, I record a lot. I've been doing videos for a minute, but I've been more of like a in, a, in my own personal lane. So I've been having to make quite of an adjustment with my social medias and so at some point I decided you know what just because of the way I started off I just want everything to look consistent and um that's the name of the game this is aesthetically what you're supposed to do so don't kill me I got another page for you guys to follow follow me in the link tree in fact now now that I'm speaking with you guys I notice I haven't even put in the link tree yet so but you can connect with me anyway on TikTok it's called my bronx story so my underscore Bronx underscore story and I'm trying to get the videos that I did before now with what I know about TikTok now me having the type of following that I have so that I could take advantage of it the right way I got success by having some viral videos and started doing my thing meeting a lot of some awesome people however I feel like there's a lot of things I learned from that you kind of don't get a chance to do over unless you do a new account so that's where I'm at so one of the things that I want to say is if you're following me, like my core people who follow me on all the platforms, you may see me ask a question. And I'm going to tell you for now, with the exception of three people, most of y'all dubbed me. And I'm a little let down because I asked a simple question. All right. And the question was pretty much what question would you have for Kingsbridge Rich about my Bronx story? So this is something that could be for Kingsbridge Rich, this is something that could be Bronx particular. Some of the people who follow my play, my pages are from outside the Bronx, want to know more about the Bronx. Nonetheless, guys, please, I just encourage you to please answer these questions, reach out to me. If you're listening to this and you follow me on some form of social media, hit me up with questions. I think it pulls out a lot of dialogue and conversations. And I give you what I decide to give you in terms of a theme for an episode but when it's driven and you see some of the questions that's asked today that I'm pretty excited about. And so what you can expect from this episode, 
I decided to highlight somebody in the community that was pretty pivotal. He was pretty significant. And for those who call Kingsbridge home, you're going to recognize the name when I say it. But there's a plethora of stories surrounding this one place and this individual who ran this place. And this name of this one individual is called Boss. Boss's store, more specifically, I speak of. It was a bane of our community. It was a spot that we came and we gathered. We collected there for multiple reasons. And almost like on two different planes, you had the casual person who walked in and out of a standard store to have the standard experience. But then there was us Morris folks. Then there was those from Kingsbridge. Then there was those who knew Ak, but not really his government because he was a smooth and humble dude, but yet firm, you ain't really mess with him, store owner. In an environment that was rough and tough, Kingsbridge and Morris, shout out to Snake City, Kingsbridge. Nonetheless, Kingsbridge Rich living on that very corner has had such a perspective. And so I got a chance to witness a lot. For those of you guys who've been following me on IG, I've been doing a late, uh, my latest installment of video clips from the 90s have been dropped. And I've been putting them across all the social media platforms as well. So I've been getting a lot of visibility on that and a lot of buzz. And some of it is recycled stuff. Some of it never seen before. I do that on occasion so that we could go ahead and get some of these visuals. Because I'm talking to y'all about some stuff, but I got receipts too. I've been there and I got videos, feel me? So I may say something and then throw a video up so you guys could take a look. Nonetheless, boss's store. So... Let's let's talk a little bit about boss, and I want to spend time sprinkling in some of these question and answers that people asked, and also get you guys up to the tone of boss and why boss's store was so significant to the Kingsbridge area, and why boss has made it to the podcast. Right? You might be thinking store owner, and and you may limit the interactions and your thought to just the basic store, but no. In this case, it's much different. But nonetheless, all right. My Bronx story, boss's store. And um, let's get into it, man. So you must to appreciate the story, understand the setting in which this store exists. And so this store is situated on the very corner of Kingsbridge Road. And it intersects with the street, the avenue, Morris Avenue. This is the block I hail from that I give so much love to. I talk about it. I live there. Two buildings, same block quite a few years, tons of experiences. So Kingsbridge and Morris, the very corner you have Boss's store. Boss is a middle-aged, Middle Eastern man, heavy set, smooth dude, not aggressive in his demeanor. His posture is pretty simple, but on occasion you could see him getting his voice elevated. But he always had a grin, and he was well-received in the community. There was like an unspoken rule when it came to Boss. You, you, you didn't see people violate him. Which said a lot about him, but it's not that you've seen his character and understood that people shouldn't violate him. You just knew not to violate him. And you almost had a sense that if you did dare to violate Boss, that you'd be violated yourself. But nonetheless, Boss, cool dude. And from very young for me, it had begun for me just going to the store. And if something wasn't found in the bodega, which was next to my store, next to my building, then I go across the street. And check, hey, all right, cool. I don't get what I got in here. Let me cross the street and see if they got what I got. But the, the thing about Boss's store, as opposed to being the other stores that are cut inside the block, that it's on a main road. And Kingsbridge and Morris is right there at 
a bus stop. So we have two buses to stop there. We have a supermarket, which draws tons of people toward it. And this was something very significant about the block being somewhat of a magnet. It drew attention. It drew people and people from all walks. And so to be attracted to Morris, you may have been a crackhead. You have may, may have been a crack dealer. You may have been somebody who just wanted to have a great time because Morris was always known for being popping. And it's those inner blocks that where the action was. But on the main strip, you had your commercial strip. You had your, your buildings and you had your fish markets. You had your pharmacies, your supermarkets. And so this one convenience store just being situated in the very corner gave us so much in and out access. Now for us on the block, man, it was the meetup. I remember going in the mornings before school and stopping there the little 10, 15 minutes I had that gave me enough time to make it school, but not late. And so if you were school-aged, this was your corner running in for snacks, and you mingled with your little pocket of friends there waiting for the bus to go all the way back uptown. We had 143 on one end. And then you had even just a little older than that, you had your high schoolers who may be coming to the block to cop some bud, chilling with somebody they knew from the block. Another little pocket, you know, cutting into St. James Park to cut school, having little bottles and stuff like that. The shit used to be Spanish fly. The little kids thought that Spanish fly made you horny. So when you got to cut with a girl or whatever, you drank Spanish fly. But these are the kind of things that you found in convenience stores back then. And it's funny because like now you call it the Aki store. Hey, yo, Ak, let me get this and that type of sandwich. Hey, yo, Ak, everything is Ak, Ak, right? In the 80s, we knew bodegas. Right, we have Boricua and Dominican bodegas. Then things start transitioning to Middle Eastern. You have the Akis, right? No disrespect, you know, all in love. Boss was that Ak, yo. And I got to give him credit because he held the block down in many ways, and I'm about to talk a little bit about it. Unfortunately, and I talk about Boss's store because it is no longer there. And it's, it's funny because, like, I don't live on the block anymore, but I, I come to the block often. And so... It's strange what happens when you're older and you have years of experience upon you. It feels almost as if you're on the top of a hill with such a vantage point that you see a different context because you've experienced a community that's changed. And, and, and you can close your eyes and see the changes almost like you're seeing it on a time lapse. And so age gives you that. And I come at this place in my memory where I, I drive, I go down memory lane, I'm on Kingsbridge. It evokes the same emotion that I get of being cautious of my surroundings because it is what it is no matter where you come from. If you're from the Bronx, you always have that sense of just being on your toes. Almost could be a thrill when you leave and come back to it. See if you still got that edge or whatever. But nonetheless, right? So that's, that's, that's the sense that you have on the type of block that Boston Store is situated on. This is a rough block. This is a block that contains crack spots, you know, just kind of peppered in from corner to corner. And even speaking of that vantage point where you experience a block, I can talk a little bit about experiencing the changeover from when the block was run from by one person and then another person loses their grip and then another person comes in. And so when I say I could talk about it, it's not really with details that can incriminate anybody, but I could talk about it in the sense that I've seen some changes, not just physical, but just the nature of, of, of the strongholds of our blocks. And the implications for that, right? The changes, the people who move in and out, groups of people who come in and do whatever activities, the, the change of activities, activities go from 
one type of drug to another. Then you have years that go by and you look at once upon a time, people used to smoke their L's and when the cops came, you throw it to the side. And we're over-policed in the Bronx and the police got every reason. Like, this is at a time where stop and frisk is out. Like, now you can openly just walk around with the blunt. You can smoke it in the presence of police. How much of a different time it was to have to even worry about that. And the fact that they have that much power to police you and yet another thing. Stop and frisk, just looking aggressive. And so we have these police that were frequent our block because everything was happening on that block. But this is still Boston store, and this is before we have the thousands of smoke shops that you see today. Because if you need to get a bong, you need to, you know, you wasn't going into a bodega for that stuff. That stuff just, you can get those little velas, the candles at the bodegas, Agua de Florida and stuff like that, special, you know what I mean? That's, that's not a special trip. You go to the bodega for that. Feel me? But... You wasn't getting paraphernalia. Boss's store is where we picked up paraphernalia. And it's funny because, like, I talk about the changes of life, right? And I go from being a, a student and I'm traversing my areas, getting from one hood to the next so, so I can attend school. I stop at Boss's store and for a season, Boss's store exists as the place for me to get juice. Then I get into high school. And not only am I getting juice, but now there's a new relevance for Boss's store. Now this is where I buy my box cutters. Oddly, I'd go to boss's counter and I'd ask him for a box cutter. And I figured out, because there was no market for it besides me at that store. He just had rows of box cutters because they needed them to open their boxes. And so I had an incident in school where upon me being dismissed, I walked to the nearby bus stop. This is 1998. This is September, I believe, 3rd. It's a Friday. Check the calendar. Do the math. So I come out of school, I get to the corner, groups of kids, but this is a school that has school uniforms. And so we all look alike, except for this group off to the side. So one kid approaches me and he's saying some things to me, but I really don't understand what he's saying. I missed all the noise and chaos that you'd expect at a school dismissal. And so soon enough, the bus pulls up, the bus I should have walked into, doors open up. And this kid's now in front of me saying something that, yet again, I can't understand. So, boom, he snatches the bracelet. I had a gold bracelet that had just been purchased about a month ago. Decent size for a teenager, especially, bracelet. So, at that point, I didn't need to understand words. Enough had happened for me to understand what time it was. It was pulling a jack move on me. <laughs> but, like, things got intense because, so... I'm here throwing hands with this guy and I'm hitting him and he's blocking. And at this point, I'm feeling like since he's blocking, I have this advantage because I'm just hitting him, hitting him, and I'm just wearing him down. I was just hitting body shots. It was a real tall dude. And so I go high and I'm trying to like hit through his block. Then I start getting his ribs real open, real open. And all the time, like I saw a lot of movement along my sides, but not anything that I was able to really make out what was happening. And so at one point when I took a quick glance down, I see where the buttons were open on my shirt. I had this long sleeve, navy blue Tommy Hilfiger long sleeve shirt, and it had patterns of hunter green on one side, and then on the other side, it had maroon. And so the two top buttons were down a bit spread so that it can expose just a little triangle shape of my white tank top, which we had appropriately called wife beaters. But so it's a little exposed because I'm walking out of school to a hot day. 
pretty much. And so I'm fighting. I moved back for just a step because now it's just like a lot of noise going on. There's a lot of ruckus. And when I look down, I see that there's blood on my tank top. And so I'm looking down. I'm trying to understand where the blood is because from the guy I'm fighting with, there's no blood on him. I'm the only one bleeding. He hasn't even hit me once. And so I'm now reaching on my face and I'm holding my hand because now my hands have blood. And now where I've wiped with my palm, I switch sides in the opposite side of my palm. When I pull my skin right up my jawline and onto the middle of my cheek, it's like I saw a fresh streak of blood. So now I found the source of blood on my face. And then I make the connection that I'd just been cut. An initiation that just happened and a robbery. I don't know which one was which primarily. I don't know if they came to rob me because they knew I had jewelry. Because they had been going around the area cutting people. And I was telling all the friends that I had that I was getting robbed. Like, yo, I don't know. They was cutting people at the time because that's what the Bloods was doing in 98. And so it was a real big deal, especially on Fridays. And so a lot of them were getting initiated. So they were getting ganged in, um, blooded in. So... That's what happened for me. So it was either that they came to rob me or there was blood in it or both. But the dude was with another squad there too. So boom, I'm here throwing hands with one dude. It turns out that there was another guy swinging his ox at me, the blade. He was swinging the blade, swinging the blade, trying to catch me. So all that movement that I saw was pretty much the guy swinging on me until the blade caught me. Now, the blade where it hit me, it hit me on my cheek and skipped off my jaw and then continued on my neck right over the skin where my jugular vein is, but it's not too deep there. And if you see now, it's not, it's not what you expect with the story I'm saying. It's not going to be a whole chop that I got going down. But, you know, if I pointed to it in good light, you could see that it's there. But there were also these lesser scratches. And I guess because I was fighting and I was in motion, he was just missing. And those little skits that I had were just these little scratches that were along like the same path of the cut. So here I go and I'm cutting. I'm not like with a flap of flesh or anything like that. So, you know, the blood is manageable. And now I got my shirt off. The security guard is out as a buffer in between me and the other guys. Then I see that it was about maybe 12 of these guys that had been there all together. Bloods with their flags on. Then one guy came around the security guard and went ahead and took my, um, then he took my chain. I had a chain as well. And um, and then that was it from there. Like the ambulance came, took me to the hospital. The ambulance, the, the EMT that worked on me was telling me that like had I gotten cut just a bit deeper in the same direction I got cut, I could have bled to death for five minutes. And so it was a very traumatic Friday and I was to come back to school on Monday. Life goes on. And so in my world, it wasn't like it was a big deal. And I'm going to tell you like from my heart, because just to describe I don't want to, I want to tell you the story, but I want you to kind of feel it the way I experienced it because I didn't come from a home that had too much reassurance. And so this experience that I had about being cut wasn't something that came with a ton of attention from my family, a ton of love. I pretty much hit the block, spoke with my boys, and we hit the movie theater. Came to the block and people was asking, oh yeah, I heard this and that. And it was really a block thing. It wasn't something that I decompressed with the family. It wasn't something that I had that I was able to sit down and process. Yeah, my mom came to the school, came with me to the hospital, but I didn't get the nurturing that you'd expect that um, as a kid you, you should get. I'm here, a teenager has just been cut and robbed of his jewelry. And I knew what time it was because I was exposed to a lot, but this was just different. It just, it was, uh, it was different for me. And so because of that, knowing Monday would come, 
had to start thinking like, all right, cool. I'm going to a school that's not even blocks away. I got to take a whole two buses to get there. I'm in another hood. Now, on Kingsbridge Morris, I'm good. I could cross across the concourse. I was good. I was valid in every hood that I went to that I knew people. I never had an issue going to any blocks. So that's the good thing. But the bad thing is that when you go to school and you're going to another person's hood, that's the danger zone. So now I got this incident where I got cut. At least it's hot by the school. But, you know, uno no, nunca sabe, right? So, like, I um, so I go to the boss's store because I'm asking, like, yo, you got box cutters? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and he's, like, surprised that, like, you know, I want to buy it. Like, you going to buy it? So he makes up a price. I think he charges me 25 cents. And from that point on, every day I'll buy a blade. It takes about three days for the blade to start having rust. I would just put the blade in my mouth and go to school. I put two blades in my mouth. I practice in the mirror, spitting the blade, twisting the blade, switching it from one side of my jaw to the other side. I'll keep, I'll rest the, the blade on the lower part, then push it up to the top part, practice talking with it, kissing with it, all sort of things, just because now boss's store had become my spot to pick up protection. Because now the block, ironically, was my protection, but when I left the block, I needed protection. And this was a school that didn't have metal detectors. I wasn't on no time about bringing weapons yet, although I did bring a gun to that school, but this is a little later on. And this season, going back and forth home and knowing that every morning my routine has now been, you know, added. I now added something to my morning routine. And now the faces upon the people who I'm saying what's up to and hanging on the corner is older. I'm now looking at the world through new lenses I've now had this experience and my mind had to really come to grips with it and perceive the world with a different type of readiness. And I've seen so much and I've been exposed to so much in my personal life and time. And I seen things happen with my friends and I had experiences before this time. But this one was just different and resonated different. But boss came at a point where like, you know, I had this thing and every morning it was just now my routine is like, let me get this juice and whatever else, a juice and a gum and a box cutter. And that became a part of my routine. And it's funny, not to go off subject because I want to get back to boss, but it's funny that the whole thing with the box cutters became so common. It just so uh, second nature for me that it took me until I started going to church, maybe a year into church to stop carrying blades in my mouth because it became a crutch for me. And I would hate having to go into buildings that had metal detectors or anything because every single where I went, as an adult, like even into becoming a Christian at some point, I still always carry the blade in my mouth. And it's just these are the thoughts that come along with Boss's store being a place that's no longer there. And I go back into the, 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 the regresses of my mind, into all these memories and stuff and all the nostalgia. But Boss's store was cool, man. And it wasn't just me using Boss's store in that way. It was everybody who was cool with Boss because Boss was not only in a convenient location, but he was convenient when, if for some reason you felt funny about somebody in the street, if he was a female, you can go into boss's store and tell him, yo, I feel funny about this guy. Let me go in the bathroom. Like, especially if you was from the block. Like, us from the block, we had that experience. I don't know about y'all, if y'all got a store, bodeguero, that you got mad love with, that you could use that bathroom, but when you could use that bathroom, that's kind of like a privilege. Like, you got it good, don't mess that up. Don't get a little fial and get out of hand and, and owe it and lose your privilege. That's my advice to you for today. But Boston Store was also the place that niggas came to the back to check their guns <laughs> if a transaction happened in the back. 
And so just to kind of, I'm going to give you a disclaimer real quick because I'm giving all these accolades to Boss and right about now he sounds like he could get a city council proclamation. But Boss's store is also where we got paraphernalia. <laughs> I don't know if I said this already, but this is the first place I used to get my Coke cut. I had a little Coke flow, a little Coke flow for a while. But so Boss's store, and by the way, if for all of y'all that I asked that question on IG and nobody answered, I got a big middle finger that y'all can't see because this is an audio podcast. But yo, I asked the question and none of y'all answered it. Y'all gave me fire emojis and stuff and ain't even miss y'all missed the fact that I asked something. But anyway, yo, on the block boss's store was the place that you got cut, right? So he had jars of lot of cane, right? Boss's store also had baggies. Baggies of different sizes. And so on the block. This is the block that we, there's three crack spots on the block. So boss's store was the spot that, like, you know, you get a pack of a 1,000 or whatever like that. But he had everything that a store shouldn't have, but not everybody knew to buy there. And it was one of those. And I'm just, I, I say this because many people who want to know what the vibe was of a bodega, like, what's, what's different when you move even to a city that's nearby? Because that experience of having a Bronx bodega is not the same exact experience. It's just a whole different flow. And so being in the Bronx and having a bodega or the Aki store, like, you know your pool and you know how cool you are in your hood if you're cool with that dude. If that dude lets you go to the back or whatever and doesn't mind and doesn't really think that you're going to steal something, then you got props or whatever. So this was also the store that we all met up with before we was trooping. So you know how you have your lands, your landmarks if you're going to go somewhere? Boston store was the meetup spot. Like you either, you either said the mailboxes are 196 or from whatever block you was, you gave. But Boston store was definitely a landmark. So much so that during Christmas time, we used to decorate the corner payphone as a tree. And we would take all the bottles that we would drink and we'll stash them. We'll have Boston even hold them down. How stupid that sounded. That we'll have crates and boxes of old bottles from us just drinking on the block. Your boss, store, like, like he's the storage unit for us or something like that. All for us to go take string, time around the neck of different bottles. And we have an array of bottles, Hennessy's, Grey Gooses, Belvedere's, Bacardi's, all coming down, down to the very bottom. About 100 bottles. Some, some ghetto-ass Christmas tree-esque thing that we would do. And it was, a, it was a tradition. Every year we would do it at least once. Until somebody come around and take them off. But Boss was so good and such a team player that he'll let that happen too. So, shouts to Boss. And it's sad because I go back to Kingsbridge and I don't see it open, but I don't have any connection to Boss. Like, I, I, if anybody's hearing this, shout out to my Kingsbridge family. If y'all know where to find Boss, please let me know. If he got a Facebook page, I'm willing to go and hit him up and see how he's doing because he was really like, he was really a, a real solid person of the block. He also had an apartment in the building connected to the store. And this is, this is that building and the one right across the street. So we called that building the Binky Building because it had the Binky piece on the side that Tracy 168 did with the bar Simpson character. So every time you pull up the Morris and Kingsbridge, you'll see Binky and a, a big bar Simpson with a, with a slingshot picture, right? So that was also Boss's, Boss had an apartment in the building. Nobody messed with Boss. Boss always had love, man. It was, it was such a wonderful thing dealing with him, man. All the experiences that I had, it was him. And he also employed a nephew, an uncle. It was a family business. You'll mostly see Boss 
but he had his relatives there too. He was a stand-up dude. So some of the things that came along with Boss's store, aside from just the dudes from the hood that were um, come and frequent and meet up at the place, we did the Christmas trees and just all met up as a landmark before going to Skate Key, taking the train. We'll hit the liquor store and then all come down and serve ourselves right behind the door so that, that we don't get a ticket from the police. And this was the gathering. This was the access that we had. Um, so I will get back to boss in just a minute. And I want to sprinkle in some questions, some questions that I expected to have more of. So for all the people who's listening to this, please, I ask y'all to submit some questions to me on one of my socials. I really want to know what you like to hear on these episodes. So in that, I want to ask a question. I'm going to get a little bit more into the story and then I'm going to get into another question and we're going to then conclude. But we have a friend named Zay that submitted a question about my dance history. And the question had to do with asking about me being a B-boy. Dance stories from high school because me and Zay went to high school together. He says uh, he he wanted, this is me paraphrasing, but he wants me to share my journey into dancing, influences, and experiences. And, um, and so I'll begin here. When I lived on Kingsbridge, I didn't realize how rich in culture Kingsbridge was. And so there was many, like, when it comes to hip-hop, Kingsbridge is very rooted in hip-hop. And so we have some amazing b-boys that's been inside the, the community for a while, New York City Breakers. I could go on and on with the list of people, but when it comes to my, uh, my introduction to dance, I was a fat kid dancing when I was younger, to hip-hop because I'll go home and I'll watch Video Music Box on Channel 31. I'll never forget I was exposed to it in the second grade. And so me being a kid that didn't know Spanish, the music I listened to that I had a choice to listen to would mostly be like New Jack Swing. I listened to a lot of Heavy D and hip-hop. And so with my upbringing, the type of dance that I learned how to do first was all hip-hop. I didn't learn how to do any type of Latin dances until way later. This is in in mid-teenage years. But for the most part, it was really English music, soul music. My mother being a singer, I I listened to Shaka Khan. I listened to rock music. So I was always into rock. I was always into, you know, soft rock, pop rock. I was into soul music. And um, so my experiences with dancing had come from, you know, me watching videos. And so I'd race home to watch Video Music Box. And I see whatever dances were corresponding to the music I so loved. It was a whole different world from radio. And it was like such an eye opener because it was it was that I was poor. We didn't have cable. We only had cable when we stood over my father's house in Washington Heights. Because when you rented a room in Washington Heights, they always came with cable. But we didn't have cable. We was poor in the Bronx when we stood with my mom, which my mom was the primary. You know, she had us. But I remember my, my friend Alan Green, he tells me, yeah, there's a show. You can watch the music videos. I'm like, no, we don't have. He said, no, it's free. He puts me on. He tells me how to get the channel 31. And then I hear it. It was at three. It was at three thirty every day after school. Video music box with DJ VJ Ralph McDaniels. That was the vibe right there. So I, I would see the dances. Right. And I, I would do those just regular hip hop background dances. But one day I'm a Morris dude. I'm amongst, you know, the stick up kids. I'm hanging out in front of crack spots. And I take a little journey one one evening down the block past Parkview onto Jerome at 196th Street. And so the elevated train is right over 
And it's a pretty dark area, and this is now where if you cross the street, you find yourself on the corner of where Walton High School is at. And at this time, there was a tennis court there. And so there's a big tennis court. I'm just walking out of curiosity. I'm just drifting myself from Morris down 196th Street. And as I'm approaching Jerome and I look ahead, I see that there's a vehicle inside the tennis court. And, in that, and, and the vehicle's headlights are on. And the shine from the lights give me a silhouette of some figures moving on the floor. And so my curiosity drags me across the street through traffic. And I'm just mesmerized. I'm looking ahead. And the closer I get, the more vivid the pictures come. But it's like, it's ironic because it doesn't match the time that I'm in. Or so I think because I am watching something that feels old school. But in what the time it was, it was modern for me. You know, it was like, that was like, from a time ago to me and to many people. And so I remember continuing and now I'm seeing that there's break dancers. These guys are break dancing. There's a linoleum out. There's like 10 people there and they're doing windmills into head spins. And I'm walking closer and closer. There's no pride about me. I'm just going. Doesn't matter that I'm not invited and I know nobody there, but I just left one world of drugs, crime, the block and drifted myself into an area that just made everything else disappear. And as I'm there, I'm staring at them. And one of the dudes, he tells me, yo, listen, we dance in that school, which is PS86. There was that speed up program that allowed space. You know, speed up was always down with culture, right? Uh, a, a Boricua institution began in Chicago. I had a good relationship with Aspira through that too. So they had a connection to Aspira and they had space to dance. And so that day, I was lucky enough to walk upon that space where they took the linoleum outside and they started dancing. And I didn't know at the time who I was speaking to was the Incredible Breakers, right? This is Sammy. This is the Davila family, an entire family of breakdancers, of b-boys, right? With accolades that are beyond what I can even consider for the moment I was in. I was still in shock observing this art, and I was so intrigued. But I was so chubby. I couldn't see myself in that. But they invited me. And the very next day, I showed up to Aspira, signed in tennis sheet to come in. And I was ready for my first class. And it was a day. And it wasn't a class because they didn't teach you. But it was practice. So you observe people. You listen to conversations. And you dare to jerk in. So it takes a lot of courage. But everybody's there. You know, some people are being playful. And some people who know who they're looking at. I was a street dude. I didn't know who I was looking at. And there were people like Ken Swift. There was original B-Boys, right? And, and so I give shout-outs to El Nino. I'm going to send this clip to El Nino. I give shout-outs to El Nino because I saw El Nino as a kid dancing when the floor lords used to come from Boston. And I remember when I first started like practicing and, and the things that I was really, I desired with like the whole B-Boy flow was like really up-rocking. And just staying on top and dancing because I had a whole background. I used to dance to all the hip-hop dances. So to me, all the foot movements and twists and stuff, I was like, yeah, I could stay up top. I, I could stay up top. You know, I got some flow. So Incredible Breakers had a, a real strong connection with the Floor Lords. And so the Floor Lords have come from Boston every so often. I always remember these little kids that were nice. And I used to always see the cypher and these kids. And they were very playful. They used to go into the little circle, but they were like doing swipes, freezes. They'll be on their head. And I'm here new watching and I'm here, you know, practicing, getting my little head spins in and stuff. 
doing my little up rock. But I'm amongst all these major dudes. And fast forward, we got an El Nino representing the b-boy community to the extent that he is and, and to be able to remember that and to see him in that view so that's the gift that i give to people this whole and this is the whole idea of the podcast this is the idea of me getting excited with storytelling that i connected with b-boy el nino and i shared what i'm sharing with everybody here and it was almost as given a glimpse of an angle unseen sometimes we're observed and we have our conversations we're head on and we have eye contact and we're direct with people we have direct conversations but sometimes we don't know that angle of somebody who's observing and not letting their presence be known and i got a chance in this culture in this community and through this podcast you guys will see a lot of interactions that i've had with people that allow me to be in the space with them somebody who has observed them for quite a time enough to know and to speak on and so with the b-boy community i was able to you know witness some fly shit and be around some cool people for 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 such a while and so with these uh, experiences and and these practice spots and some chill people so shout outs to the incredible breakers and and more specifically i want to give a shout out to josh josh my man lived right on parkview we used to pull the the linoleum out go to walton open it up and just practice and josh his brain thinks 30 years ahead. Like we would practice. And so you think like a dance practice would be you, you conceptualize the move and you work on it, you know, or you do whatever strength or some type of training that's going to allow you to keep doing that movement. Right. It's just in essence, that's breaking down a dance move when it comes to a very competitive, you know, moves of, you know, breaking moves. Right. But I remember one time we were practicing and he was, he grabbed the tube, like a shipping tube that was off to the side. You know, this is a school. We're outside of a high school, so they get a ton of different shaped stuff. So there's these tubes that are closed off of cardboard, right? And and he's grabbing them, and he's like, yo, dance, and start swinging these around, and you have to make moves around them. And so, like, I'm here taking the tubo and making big circular moves, and he's going in between. He's just doing all kind of, like, CC's footwork and then jumping over and, and doing freezes around. And I just realized at that point, like, how outside the box he was thinking for practice. And it was playful. It was fun. Like, we had, we were laughing our asses off doing it. But at the same time, like, you was you were seeing the floor differently. You wasn't just, you know, thinking to yourself, I'm just turning in these circles. It's like I could stop here and then just jump across at that side, spin and just glide this way. Roll this way, slide this way, flip that way. And... And Josh was such a committed person. And so this is to answer Zay's question, because I'm still answering Zay's question, but I'm giving people flowers because, like, this thing changed my life. I lost 70 pounds in six months because I started breakdancing. So I'm a chubby kid. I'm starting to learn people. I got a little image issue. I'm, you know, causing trouble. I already got arrested once. I'm a little fat boy. I'm trying to take the persona of, like, Fat Joe kind of kid. I walk down the block. I see all this happening. I come into the mix and and I pick up these jewels and I hear the conversations and I have all this practice. I'm there five days a week at that speed up program. I'm there Monday through Friday, four days or five days a week, sometimes on Saturdays. I'm there six months, 70 pounds of weight. So this whole dance journey. So to get back to Josh and give Josh his flowers, Josh was known in Kennedy High School as B-Boy Superman. 
because like you come on like superman that's all i gotta say josh will have these bumps on his head from doing windmills over and over and over and over again he'll take a corner and practice and he'll be in the school practicing nonstop. for me because i lost so much weight breakdancing i had a teacher mr papadopoulos in high school bronx leadership academy right he asked me what i was doing about my weight i told him i was breakdancing he was like you know what you don't have to participate in the gym if you want to dance in that corner you could dance in that corner. That entire school year, all I did was break dance in the corner and got credit for gym because he saw how determined I was and how much weight I was losing. Six months, 60 pounds. The problem with that was, though, I got conceited as fuck. <laughs> I lost so much weight. I grew my hair really long. And you couldn't tell me nothing. But Zay, much love to you on that question. That was um my influences. So more specifically, my influences... My B-Boy influences began with the Incredible Breakers. So shout outs to the Incredible Breakers. Shout out to Josh, Sammy, Bryant, Chino, and um, and the whole Incredible Breakers family for sure. Uh, shout outs to Speedy D. You know what I mean? Because Speedy uh, was at like the, the very end of me, like taking as much of the B-Boy world as I could tolerate because there was politics and people used to do little stupid shit like any community, but... I was young, just fly, flying into a community and trying to learn. And, you know, I, I didn't do no more. But at this time, I had met Speedy and Alien Ness. And with that same humble love that I got from the Incredible Breakers, where it was just like they didn't care that I didn't come from some background and they were always there to just show a movement or some type of concept. You know, the same was with Speedy. And I remember one time... I went, there was this talent show that would go every year at Clinton High School. And so I had just gone to a couple of practices before. He used to have like practices at Skate Key, different places. And I knew his nephew, Raymond. And so, you know, I was practicing in the hood and Raymond had just gave up on um, breaking for a, a while ago. He was intimidated by his, by Speedy being a, a brolic uncle that, you know, was a b-boy. He was committed to it. So Raymond got back into it, meeting me. And I was like trying to take it more serious. But Speedy is here, a part of this big yearly event, this yearly performance that happens. And he points at me in the crowd and calls me up on the stage and, and a couple people as well. And it was so good. And the dopest thing about all of that was that I just, you know, did some top rock and I went for the head spins because that was the thing. I, I really jumped into practicing head spins when, you know, when I began as a B-boy. And the dopest thing of everything is that they landed. And it was so smooth, so smooth. So, um, you know, that, that was an open door for me. And, you know, these were my influences and stuff. And so a lot of times I was at Skate Key. A lot of the old school cats wasn't really hitting Skate Key because they've been did that for years. But there was a whole wave of B-boys that would attend and stuff like that. You had the K-Mails, uh, B-Boy K-Mail, show up at places. Um, you had um, Rockefeller, Quick Step. They'll show up at places. Um you know, Honey Rockwell. So this is at a certain time. Flashback. Um, Alien Ness was still around, you know, doing this thing like in places that I was able to see or whatever like that. But um, and then I drifted off out of the world. And so these are the people I was seeing. Patty Dukes, Patty Dukes and, and Rockefeller, I credit for giving me my first windmills humbly at these practices. And these are all people I met at PS86. And so how Kingsbridge... So when, you know, Kingsbridge Rich and when I, just to put in perspective, I, my hashtag Kingsbridge Rich has more 
it has more views than the hashtag for Kingsbridge. Like, I'm so dedicated to Kingsbridge. I hashtag in every little thing having to do with Kingsbridge. When it comes to, like, you know, the, the grin of my Brock story and what matches with, you know, the, the language of my people and the people who I used to rock with out there, the people who are listening, the people who remember the neighborhood, the people who have a similar neighborhood. But the community was rich in culture, and there was a foundation of, of breaking in that area. I just moved into that space, and it was but a matter of time before I have my attention off the crime and the drugs that were right there on the block that I lived and that the culture will push me through. And in that culture, I started embracing like house and um, stuff that in the hood, like you didn't really listen to it. You know, you were kind of considered sweet just to be politically correct. And so it was a different world. And for me, the other thing that I could say about about dancing in general is that it allowed me to get off of all that thug shit that was on the block. Like the block, you had to maintain a certain image, the kind of music you couldn't really pop off with, you know, music that was too sensitive or whatever. R&B would be cool, but you're not just playing that out of a boombox. You're paying for batteries. Feel me? It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what was the reason why you went in. And, you know, I, I think it's more beyond, oh, you man, sweet. You know what I mean? You're fruity. I think it's way beyond that. But nonetheless, the expression I got from Dancing House for being into that kind of music. And I got to escape my type of music and I got to escape my world and just go out to places and just start dancing and, and enjoying myself. That's why I could be at a place just dance for like eight whole hours. So these were my experiences, man, and I really appreciated it. And I got it from the Bronx and I got it from from freaking worldwide historic people. And peace and respect to all those dudes. It's been dope. But so now, getting back to Boss... If anybody knows where Boss is at, please reach out. Yo, imagine Boss got a TikTok. That would be so lit. I would love to see that. But for real, I I, I believe somebody on Kingsbridge is in touch with Boss. I believe it's possible. But um, if you guys have any connection to Boss whatsoever, please connect me. I don't want to have to try to go to a strip bar and find him and see if he's there. Because... To end off on Boss, I talk about different places that I've seen him in different stages of my life. And in my adult stage, <laughs> right, it went from box cutters to, yo, do you know one day after work, right? I'm working at Red Lobster. And we decided to go to a strip bar after. I show up to, to, to Sue's Rendezvous. And Boss is at a table with like four strippers. And I'm like, yo, that's Boss. And he sees me. He got this big smile on me. I'm like, your Boss is that dude ready to blow a bag. And these girls, well, so I'm saying what's up to Boss. Now they go to the table I'm at with like the people I'm with and stuff and the girls are mad nice. And in that group of girls, there was a friend of mine. One of the, So then now <laughs> the funny thing is that she sees me. She's like, oh my gosh. She runs titties out, hugs me. Oh my God, Richard, Richard, oh my God. I'm like, I'm not going to say her name, but I'm like, oh, how you doing? It's like crazy. I would never imagine she was a stripper, which is funny when you get to that age. And it's like people, she was she was a girl from the block that had a little crush with my boy and that had a little puppy love dating thing. And again, I can't say names, but you know what I mean? Like she was this little girl from the, and next time I see her, she's all titties out running toward me. And so now she's giving, she's like lap dancing me and telling me, oh, how, how's everything going? I'm like, yeah, fine, cool. I, like where you live? And, and we're just like casually talking. 
Word. But, I, you know, and then things changed, I guess. You know, I, I saw her on, like, I had her on social media for a while. And then like, she wasn't stripping or doing anything like that. Like, I think she was married, kid. I saw her life got better and so good that I never seen her again. Like, then she got on so, social media, I guess. You're truly healed when you completely make it off of all social media. So I guess that's a success story. But wherever you're at, person that I can't identify with this, but you might remember it if you hear this, which would be highly unlikely. But hey, I hope so. Yeah, that would be dope. Person I will not name. That was cool. But that that's that was cool. I got to see Boss. I saw Boss in a whole different element, right? It went from juices to box cutters, box cutters to strippers. Strippers to paraphernalia, because I started buying Apple bags. And that was the question I asked on IG. What size Apple bags do cracks come in? Because not only with the smoking pipes and stuff, with Boss's store, like, you was able to get lidocaine cut. You got the Apple bags, right? And my building was right across the street from Boss's store. So when somebody was, like, finishing the shift, they'll chill in my crib. They'll probably bag up or something like that. And so this is a block that has so much action going on from end to end that is so casual that we say these things because it was just that casual of an experience. And so, you know, you knew you knew what friends had what apartments, whose schedule is well, who works late, who works early. I'd go pretty much out my building right across the street from Boston store, 2676 Morris, my building. I go across the street to Boston store, I chill on that corner. I come back being my stoop. I lived on the first floor. So I look out my window. I come outside, post up on the building, post up in the building, drink, re-up, serve somebody, come back, chill up the block in whatever spot I want to, be on whatever roof, go downstairs, meet up at Boston store with a whole other group of people, laugh, go to liquor store, finish a whole bottle on the corner, come back in the same old block shit everybody always do. Or whatever. But like when it came to the paraphernalia and stuff, we pretty much would buy bags and my boys would bag up in my crib because it was right there on the corner. And although I didn't sell crack on the block and my friends who were selling crack, that was pretty much the shift and the way the shift would work out. And in the mornings it'd be like a whole different shift coming on. And I remember my friends would just like either be finishing and needing a spot to count. Uh, see how much PC they had left, whatever. And I only say this because some people don't know how it works. Um, and I guess just to say how it works pretty much because I want to assume some people hearing this don't understand the crack game. <laughs> but so if you're going to take on a pack, two packs, three packs, you're entitled to a certain amount of dimes and then you're entitled to a certain amount, which is your PC. So in a pack of 13, right, you're going to sell 10 dimes, Three dimes are yours. That's your profit. And the 10 go back to where you got it from, the spot. And so if it's clicking that day, you know, you say, you know, I you know, I moved five packs. I moved 10 packs. I got a G pack off. And that's pretty much the flow. But with me, a lot of times my schedule is kind of about the same time that shifts was changing. And so I'll spend a good amount of time at spots right before shift, change over. And my block attracted a lot of people who hustled there who are not from the block. And sometimes they didn't have a, a, a space to do much. And so, like, my, my my apartment was conveniently located on the block and the first floor, no lock on my building. So people are always inside and out my door. 
People are always in there, you know, to, to count up or, or to just chill. That was my apartment. And, it was, and, you know, my mom didn't give a problem because that was, you know, that was the spot we was living for a minute. It was just the nature of who we was or whatever. But it was right across the street from Boston store. But yeah, that was that was that was interesting. That was some good times. And um I really miss there's a there's a store on the block already and I haven't gone into it. It's never gonna be Boston store again. There's never gonna be no Boston store again. So to end off on another question from Ed. Ed asked a boss-related question, and in fact, shout-outs to Ed because this is the reason I decided to talk about Boss's store. Ed asked me a question, and it goes, Boss's store was known for selling VHS porn <laughs> tapes. And we also got a question from Christine Cruz. She asked a question about gentrification in the Bronx. She wanted to know, what's my thoughts on the Bronx being the last borough to experience it? She wants to know what's the benefits and the downsides of gentrification. And she wants to know about certain landmarks like Fordham Road, 149th Street, and 3rd Avenue. It's quite a bit of different angles on her question. But the first signs for me of gentrification came from when I would ride the Ford train and I noticed that white people kept going past 161st Street. I don't care what nobody says, but that was the first signs to me of gentrification. And what it is to describe gentrification in the Bronx, what it looks like and what areas it's able to go to. Because gentrification is not moving to Riverdale. Riverdale is the Bronx, but it's like, you know, it's out to the side. It's a whole area, a whole different area. They don't even call themselves the Bronx, but they are. Nonetheless, with the Bronx, it's been the hardest to gentrify because it's violent. The density is pretty high for a small space in the Bronx. And so there's but so many neighborhoods and not to paint a terrible picture on the Bronx is all to say that it wouldn't have been worth it for a person's safety to live on plenty of blocks in the Bronx. And if they managed to have a good pocket of blocks, they'd still have to find some sort of transportation to cut through or you got to walk from one side to the next. And so it's just not safe for you. And such is the case with the Bronx. I could see how Brooklyn, in the way it's situated, could have space and space and build up buildings. But in the Bronx, there's some buildings that are like luxury buildings and on certain blocks, and it works out. There's other ones that are, you know, there's just a lot of open land, and they're just building up. We're getting a ton of high-rise buildings, luxury buildings all over the Bronx. And so with that, we're seeing more. But at the end of the day, it affects mom and pop shops. It affects, you know, the prices of what you pay for things. And so, you know, it's it's going to be something that if we see the Bronx get to like Brooklyn. And perfect example, my grandmother had an apartment in Carroll Gardens and they were offering top dollar for it. And that area had gotten gentrified and they had lived there since the 50s. And so that whole community does not reflect the culture in which I grew up in. And so I think I think the Bronx has a long way to go to be overcome other than like Fordham Road in that area. Like there are certain areas over there because you have Fordham University. And so you got a pocket of Blanquitos out that way. But you know what I mean? Like they're on one side and, and they pretty much stick to the same little bars and they don't drift out past AutoZone 
Like you don't see them pass Roosevelt High School for those who know, and they don't pass Bronx Zoo, <laughs> and and that's pretty much where they stay. But um, without having to go too deep into gentrification, when you start seeing your neighborhood change, many times it's because you're pushed out. And there's some of us who flee because we choose to flee for many reasons. There's tons of reasons why you choose to stay. There's tons of reasons why you choose to leave. My particular life and family and the direction of my family, we decided to leave. And for some people, some people choose to stay and it's not to knock anybody. What it is to say is that we have to find ways to inhabit places without affecting people who are there. And when you think about it, it's kind of like the theme of this world right now. We try to go into places and just our existence in that place, if it becomes something that's negative, if it has a negative influence, if it's at somebody's detriment, then maybe we should reconsider what the hell's going on here. And I think that's in simple terms. And if we thought that way, if we cared that way on a world scale, we cared about things like that on a local scale, then we would respect what the outcomes are of gentrifying neighborhoods. We know it. You know, and then there's other terms like redlining and how districts are cut and how politics plays a part and all that. These are whole, you know, deeper discussions on gentrification. So like Chef from Saturday Night Live says, bust a gun in the air a few times to keep the gentrifier from coming. Feel me? You know what I mean? Keep popping off on the block. Keep the block a little loud, a little lively. Be outside. Now COVID is gone to keep the gentrifiers from coming because that's the only way to keep them at bay, <laughs> you know, pretty much. But, you know, hey, uh, my route is different. More, more, you know, respect to y'all that work on it. But there's, I would say you uh, meet with your community boards, right, and be involved in your community and see who it is that's moving in your communities, who are buying up the buildings, who your landlords are, who are your developers. And that's where you're going to have a say. A lot of people scream and shout and they get upset about what happens, but they don't engage on a local level. And so complaining is going to only take you but so far. So that's, is that an antidote? No. Do we got a long way to go? Yep. Is there a lot to say about it? Absolutely. Is that my conversation to have? Not really, but sometimes. And to answer your question, is it happening? Yep. Can we keep it at bay? Yep. But would we? Who knows? It's up to you. Get engaged. Tell a friend to tell a friend, you know, your vote matters and counts. Your protest counts. Make your voice known. There's a lot of shit happening that you should have your hand in as a taxpaying citizen, pretty much. But nonetheless, man, thank you for your time, guys. I truly appreciate it. Submit question and answers for the next time. Shout outs to my, you know, the people who ask questions. Shout outs to my TikTok family. Shout outs to my IG family. Please follow me. We got a lot of work, a lot of things to do. So until next time, this is Kingsbridge Rich, My Bronx Story. Peace.